Lord Jesus, you are worthy of it all. You are the lamb slain for the sin of the world. And Lord, we get to partake of this eternal life, living for you, walking in fellowship with you, in communion with you, because of your death at Calvary and your shed blood that forgives us of all of our sin. And then the new life through your resurrection from the dead. Thank you, Lord. We will celebrate that every single Sunday, every single day, until you split that eastern sky and you come again as the reigning and ruling Lord, God, Almighty, and Creator. So, Lord, we love you, we praise you, we adore you, we magnify you. Be exalted, Lord, in our minds, in our hearts, in our worship, in our fellowship, and in our study. Lord, let us dig deep into the Word of God. And, Lord, we're going to study it. We're going to study the Word to show ourselves approved. So, Lord, we love you and praise you. Father, saturate everyone this morning within the sound of my voice, here and online, with your awesome presence by your Holy Spirit and the Word of God. In Jesus' awesome and powerful name, we all pray. Amen. 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 You may have a seat. You may have a seat. Our children are dismissed to Children's Church if they would like to go. And uh, if you don't have a Bible, raise your hand and Andy will bring you a Bible. And also, before I get into my message this morning, I want to talk to you for just a second, tell you about some things that are going on at Calvary Chapel Irmo. And first off is you should find one of these cards right here on your seat. Um, if you could take that and fill it out. If for some reason you don't have one, just raise your hand and Andy will hand you one of these little sheets. But what we're doing is we're updating our database. It's called Planning Center. Planning Center is an amazing software that enables us to seamlessly communicate to the body through text, through email. It just makes things so nice. You'll have all of the information of the church on your phone. So if you could, we need one of these cards filled out for everyone. This information will not leave our church. It's for internal use only. And uh, it just helps us communicate with you. And we want one for both mom and dad and anyone that has this old enough to have a cell phone or email so that we can communicate with them and let everybody know what's going on with Calvary Chapel Irma. So we'd greatly appreciate that. So um, also, also, at Calvary Chapel Irma, we're, we're building. We're building our fellowship. We are establishing ministry. And we're, what we're doing is we're just put, we're putting the building blocks in place. And one of the things that we, we, we do have a prayer ministry. Our prayer ministry meets every Sunday morning at 930. But we're going to take it to the next step. Okay? We live in a very dark world. We live in a world where um, it's, it's very challenging for believers to live in. And what we need more than anything is we need more prayer. So starting next Sunday night, we're going to start what we call the night of prayer. The night of prayer. And we are going to gather here Sunday evening from 5 o'clock to 6 o'clock sharp. And we are going to be praying for these items. We're going to be praying for our children. How many of you guys know our children need prayer? That our children need prayer. We need to fervently pray for our children and our grandchildren. We're going to be praying for the salvation of family and friends. Now, this is very important. Uh, 
talked about praying for the salvation of our friends and families, there's a prayer request card in the back of each seat pocket. Please take advantage of those prayer requests. If you have a loved one or family member or friend that, that you've been witnessing to and you want to hope to see them come to Christ and you want us to pray for them, fill out that prayer request. And we are going to be praying for them uh, next Sunday night for the salvation of friends and family. We're going to be praying for personal revival. We're going to be praying for repentance. We're going to be praying for our country. And, you know, guys, God answers prayer. You know, we have to get that through our thick skulls and into our hearts, that God answers prayer. And we have to come to him with expectant faith. I like to say, I like to call it praying with your eyes open. We pray, we present things to the Lord, and then we keep our eyes open, say, God, how are you working in the world today? How are you working in the lives of my children? So starting next Sunday night from 5 to 6, right here in the sanctuary, we will start prayer nights. And so fill out prayer requests. If you fill out a prayer request, that prayer request is going to come to that prayer meeting, and that prayer request is going to get prayed over. So let's, let's start that ministry. We're building the blocks, prayer ministry. And then nextly is, next thing I want to mention to you guys is we've started, we've started our discipleship program here at Calvary Chapel Irma, and it is going phenomenal. We have lots of people being discipled and people, um, people discipling and people being discipled. And if you're here and you want to be discipled, we want to help you grow in your relationship with Christ. If you want to be discipled or you're interested in discipling, I ask that you fill out a connection card in the back of your seat pocket to say, hey, I'm interested in being discipled. It's one-on-one discipleship. We'll partner you with someone who will help you grow in your relationship with Christ. There's a curriculum. It's, 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 it's not intense, but it's, it takes a commitment to meeting once a week. So discipleship, if you want to be a part, fill out a card. Prayer, let, let's build the kingdom of God here in Irmo, South Carolina. Amen? Amen. So we're, we're moving forward as a church. We're moving forward as a church. And the things that God says is important in his word, so important. And we're taking the next step. Later on down the road, you're going to start hearing about evangelism teams where we go out and we evangelize, but we're building. We're putting the building blocks in place, and I hope you will, will be a part. So y'all ready to get in the Word this morning? Let's do it. Matthew, please turn in your Bibles, or you can follow along with me on the screen. Matthew chapter 27. Uh, let's look at verses 1 and 2. Matthew chapter 27, verse 1 and 2 says, Now when morning came, all the chief priests and the elders of the people conferred together, against Jesus to put him to death. And they bound him and led him away and delivered him to Pilate, the governor. Father, thank you for your word. As we study it this morning, Lord, help us dive in. Help us take us back 2,000 years to see exactly what is taking place here. For us in Jesus' mighty name I pray, Father. Amen. And I've already forgot one thing because I didn't write it down. I want to pray for Israel. Everything that happened yesterday it just slipped my mind. I was thinking about it all morning long. But uh, before we get into our message, uh, I was to pray for the nation of Israel. You know, they've been attacked by Hamas and innocent lives are being killed. It's a very evil atrocity. And we are called as the church, the body of Christ, to pray for the nation of Israel. God has a plan for them. Uh, Romans chapter uh, 10, 9, 10, 11 tell us that God has a plan for the nation of Israel and they are under attack right now. So before I get into the message, I want to um, pray for the nation of Israel. Please join me in lifting up these beautiful people. Father God in heaven, thank you, Lord, for this day. And Lord, our hearts are grieved and our hearts are saddened at the loss of life for what's taking place in the Middle East right now. And so, Lord Jesus, I just uh, lift up to you the nation of Israel. 
I lift up to you those families who've lost loved ones and these bombs and this evil atrocity that's taken place. And I pray, God, that you would comfort and strengthen them, Lord. I pray that you will um, protect them, Lord. I pray that you'll give the leaders of Israel wisdom in dealing with these terrorists. I pray, Lord, uh, for the judgment of God to come down on those who are perpetrating this evil of taking innocent life. So, Lord, I pray that righteousness will rule, and I pray that people will be comforted. And I pray, Lord, for every single soul over there. I pray the same thing for the souls in Irma, that they will come to know you, Lord Jesus, as their Lord and Savior, and find eternal life and forgiveness of sin. In Jesus' mighty name I pray, amen. Amen. So, yeah, keep, keep the nation of Israel in your prayer. So this morning, um, last week we looked at betrayal. We looked at uh, Jesus being abandoned. And each week, as I get into the next portion of the text, I try to grab something that's unique, something that people haven't studied before. And what the Holy Spirit led to me this week in my studies was in Matthew chapter 27, verse 2, it mentions someone. Did you see it in verse 2? It says, And they delivered him to Pilate, the governor. The title of my sermon this morning is Pontius Pilate, Pontius Pilate. And what I want to do this morning in our verse-by-verse study is you kind of call it an expository topical message, is I want to overlay Matthew chapter 27 and John chapter 18, overlay them together, and let's this morning study. Let's dive in to this conversation uh, between Jesus and Pontius Pilate. And hopefully by the end of this message, you will leave here knowing... um, more about who Pontius Pilate is and this conversation. Who is Pontius Pilate is the question we ask. You may think, what does it matter? Who cares about what Pontius Pilate is? Well, how many of you guys ever heard of the Apostles' Creed? Pontius Pilate, this Gentile Roman governor from Abruzzo, Italy, was so important that in AD 140, his name was included in the Apostles' Creed. Under the, you see it in the middle of the Apostles' Creed, it says, suffered under Pontius Pilate. He was so important that the second century church inserted him into the Apostles' Creed. That's one reason he's important. Then, in June of 1961, within some of our lifetimes here, uh, Italian archaeologists were excavating an ancient Roman amphitheater near Caesarea, and they discovered a stone there with the inscription, and the inscription says this, to the divine Augustus Tiberium, Pontius Pilate, prefect of Judea, has dedicated. So we see these, we see archaeology that points to Pontius Pilate. We see early church writings that were formulated by the church, the Apostles' Creed. It was written to formulate what Christians believe in a nutshell, the foundations of Christianity. And they considered Pontius Pilate so important that they inserted his name. So who is Pontius Pilate? Pontius Pilate was a Roman governor under Emperor Tiberius over Jerusalem. He ruled from 26 to 36 AD. He was most famous for presiding over the trial of Jesus. And ultimately, he is the one that ordered the execution of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now you may ask, Pastor David, why is it important 
that we understand Pontius Pilate. Why is it important that we, we study this uh, Gentile ruler? Pontius Pilate is important because Pontius Pilate is a picture of today, is a picture of the scholar. Pontius Pilate is a picture of the skeptic, the politician, the godless secular man. Pontius Pilate is a picture of the man or woman that is, wa- or that is wise in their own eyes and they don't see their need for God. He is the politician. He is the skeptic. He is modern man today who has no desire for the things of God, no desire for eternity. That's a picture of Pontius Pilate. We're looking up at the same blue sky that they looked up in the first century. Nothing's changed. Nothing's changed. Man is still fallen. Man is still in need of God. And man needs to be shaken and awakened to the truth of who God is. And Pontius Pilate, like many today, is not at that point yet. So with that said, let's study Pontius Pilate. Now you've got to skip down to verse 11 of chapter 27. Actually, verses 3 through 10, if you look in your Bibles, that's the story of Judas Iscariot hanging himself. We'll study that next Sunday along with the scourging of Jesus, being, Jesus being scourged. We'll study that next Sunday, but for today, we're studying Pontius Pilate. So let's pick it up in Matthew chapter 27, verse 11. Verse 11 says, Now Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor questioned him, saying, Are you the king of the Jews? So here we have the holy meeting the secular. We have the world and Christianity colliding together in real history 2,000 years ago. The Sanhedrin had falsely accused Jesus of leading people astray and forbidding people to pay taxes. So they take Jesus to Pilate, and what they're hoping for is the death penalty. They want him dead. So Pilate here, he's probing Jesus. And yes, this is a political inquiry of the Lord Jesus Christ. Pilate wants to see if Jesus posed a political threat to his rule. All Pilate cared about, like modern man today, was his throne and his kingdom. Pilate, I repeat, was not religious, and he showed no concern for eternity. Friends and family, this is modern man today. I mean, identical, spitting image of the secular person today. They are completely focused on themselves. They're driven by success. They're driven by money. They're driven by social status, not realizing that they're on the brink of eternity. Their one breath, their one heartbeat, their one car accident, their one palpitation of the heart away from stepping into eternity and facing Almighty God, that without the righteousness of Christ, they will perish on judgment day. And they need Christ, but they don't see that. Friends and family, not let that never be said of Christians. Christians, our eyes are on eternity, okay? Our eyes are on eternity. Why are our eyes on eternity? Because the Lord Jesus Christ is in eternity. Our eyes are on him, the author and perfecter of our faith. 
you and I, Christian, we've died to this world. Our one aim is to please Christ and take as many souls to heaven with us when we leave this world. We live with an eternal perspective. Now, don't misunderstand me. We don't abandon this life. We live life to the fullest. We go get our education. We work hard. We have families. We plan to live a nice, hopefully a nice long life. But the bottom line, we're all on the brink of eternity. And our eyes are on the Lord Jesus Christ. You put your eyes on the things of this world, you will be disappointed. You, you, you put your hope in anything but the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be disappointed. It will be a letdown because everything in this world is fleeting away except for one thing, and that's Jesus. Let's continue. Verse, ha, actually, uh, we stopped halfway through verse 11. At the end of verse 11, it says, And Jesus said to him, It is as you say. And while he was being accused by the chief priests and the elders, he did not answer. Then Pilate said to him, Do you not hear how many things they testify against you? I mean, they were, they were railing against Christ. They wanted him dead. They wanted to silence. They wanted to end this Christian thing, this Jesus thing, this Jesus following thing. But verse 14 says, And he did not answer him with regard to even a single charge. So the governor was quite amazed. Jesus Christ made no defense. Why? Because he needed no defense. He was innocent. He's bringing hope. He's bringing eternal life. He's bringing salvation. He's going around healing all who were oppressed. All were in sickness. He did good. But yet man in a sinful fallen state has an ax to grind with what is good and right and perfect and wants to put him uh, to death. And, then, and then I find it very, at the end of verse 14, uh, considering everything that we studied last week, at the end of verse 14, it says, the governor was quite amazed. Jesus impressed Pilate. Jesus had been betrayed, denied, assaulted, and abandoned by all, including his disciples, by all people. His clothing is saturated in sweat and blood from the Garden of Gethsemane. And Pilate is like, wow, this dude is tough. He's looking at Jesus like, wow, man, this is an amazing dude. And how many of you guys know, man, our Jesus is strong. You know that? Jesus is mighty to save. Jesus, he, he, he holds the universe in the palm of his hand. So no matter what you face in this life, no matter what difficulty you're going through, no matter what sin you're struggling with, the Lord Jesus Christ is mighty to save no matter what you face. He is strong. And Pilate here is even like, wow, I mean, this guy, he's, he's, pretty, he's pretty tough. He's pretty amazing. So that right there, friends, that is Matthew chapter 27 verses uh, 1 and 2, then 11 through 14. Now what I want to do is I want to shift over to the Gospel of John. This, you can turn in your Bibles to John chapter 18, verse 33, or you can follow along with us on the screen as we continue. And this is John's angle of this encounter with Jesus. 
uh, John chapter 18, verse 33. Therefore, Pilate entered again into the praetorium and summoned Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? As the governor of Judea, Pilate was in the business of what? Judging criminals. He alone had the power to free or condemn. But something, something was different about Jesus. Something was different about Jesus. Roman governors, man, there were so many evil people of the day and people doing wicked, evil atrocities. It was like, next you die, next you live, next you die. They would just go through them just like that right there. But Jesus comes along and there's this long dialogue. There's, this, there's something going on. And in Pilate's eyes, something was different about Jesus. I wonder, I, I wonder if Pilate sensed the deception of the chief priest and the elders. Whatever it was, Jesus had Pilate's full, undivided attention. It was like God is standing before him. Deity is standing before him. The one who was there before the foundation of the world, the world, the one who dwelled in eternity, the one that spoke and the universe came into existence. This is the Lord Jesus Christ that is standing there before Pilate. And I can't help but to think uh, like it was at the end of the Gospel of Luke on the, the road to Emmaus, if not his heart was burning within him. If his heart was not like, means something is different about Jesus. Something is special about Jesus. You know, and if you're not saved this morning and you leave here, I hope you leave here thinking, man, there is something special about Jesus and I want to get to know Jesus. I want to accept him as my Lord and Savior. I want to walk with Jesus. I want to live for Jesus because there is just something supernatural and something amazing and mind-blowing about Christ. I've been serving Jesus now for 32 years. And yeah, I've gone through some seasons where I struggled and my zeal wasn't really high and it wasn't all there. But for the most part, over 32 years, I am just as on fire now as I was the day of salvation. As I get closer and closer to eternity and I realize how good he is, I'm like, wow, God, you are truly amazing. And no doubt it was that way. Something was going on inside of Pilate's heart. You know, and we're going to see in a little bit how um, the Lord worked on his wife. But we'll get there in a minute. We are at verse 34 of John chapter 18. Jesus answered, Are you saying this of your own initiative? Or did others tell you about me? Do you hear the boldness in Jesus' voice? Man, you're, you're standing before the, the, the governor of Rome. The governor of Rome, all he's got to do is go or, or up for you to live or die. And Jesus, Jesus was not intimidated. Jesus was not intimidated and he was not scared of Pilate. Matter of fact, verse 34, he turns the question on Pilate. He, he basically says to him, did you come up with this yourself or are you asking for them? No doubt all of Jerusalem had heard about Jesus, but the problem was they only saw Jesus. This is important. You, you think, why, would they, why, did, they, why did they respond? Why, why is this rejection of Jesus taking place? 
You know, if Jesus walked in the room, we'd all be like, yeah, praise the Lord, hallelujah, let's celebrate. Why did they act like that? Why did they act like that when the Son of God, eternal deity, was in their presence? The problem was they only saw Jesus through their natural eyes. They saw him as a peasant. They saw him as the son of a carpenter from Nazareth. As Nathaniel said in John chapter 1, verse 46, can anything good come out of Nazareth? So their eyes weren't open. They saw Jesus through their natural eyes. And when you only look at Jesus through your natural eyes, you will have a similar response, okay? But when you look at Jesus through, your, through the spiritual eyes of who he is, he will blow you away. The world today, remember I talked about how Pilate's a picture of, of secular man? The world today, secular man today, views Jesus in the same manner. A Jewish peasant who claimed to be a Messiah, performed a few miracles, and was from Nazareth. Their eyes are veiled from the truth because of their sin in their hardened hearts. That's why they don't get excited about Jesus. You know, when I think about Jesus, it just causes my heart to erupt in praise and adoration. And yes, Jesus is awesome. The secular man is like, yeah, whatever. He is who he is. There's no, they, they see through the natural eyes. And what we need to pray for is that God opens their heart and they see him for the beauty of who he is. When you become a born-again Christian, only then do you rightly understand Jesus. He is, as Josh McDowell would say, he is more than a carpenter. Jesus is God. He is eternal deity. He is creator. He is our propitiation. You know the word propitiation means? Propitiation means the sacrifice that bore the punishment for our sin at the cross. That's why we love Jesus so much, because he's God, but he's also the sacrifice for our sins at Calvary. It's through his death and resurrection that gives us new life. Man, if you are a believer in Christ, you have eternal life. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven. Shout for joy. Lift up your voices. Live a joy-filled, exciting life. Because Christ has saved you and rescued you and redeemed you. You're no longer under the curse of the law. You're under grace. And that should cause our hearts to rejoice and give us joy in life. But here, um, we have to see him spiritually. We have to see him supernaturally. Let's continue, verse 35. Pilate answered, verse 35, I, now you've got to look at the words, read the sentence for yourself now. Take yourself there as you read. You may need to read this verse about five times. But listen, you can hear his tone of voice. If you you look at the words that are used, verse 35, Pilate answered, I am not a Jew, am I? That I am at the very beginning and am I at the very end of the question? Uh, This is a mocking statement. He says, I am not a Jew, am I? And, And then he says, your own nation and chief priest delivered you to me. 
what have you done? Friends, this statement that Pilate says to Jesus, this is a mocking statement. Pilate is throwing shade, as we would call it, at the Jews. And he points out this shameful situation that Jesus is in. Basically, he's looking at Jesus and saying, dude, your own people, your own people are against you. Again, bring it forward to 2023. The ungodly world, like Pilate, they look down on Christ. They look down on Christianity. In, in Christianity, we live our lives for the Lord Jesus Christ. The world lives, them, lives their lives for themselves. In Christianity, we follow God's word. In the world, secular man, he follows his own reasoning. Uh, we believe God controls the destiny of the, of the world. Secular man believes politics, ideology, man, systems, governments control the destiny of the world. Friends, God is still sovereign. God is still sovereign and God is still in control. And that should cause our hearts to, to rejoice. But this is a mocking statement, verse 35, where Pilate's throwing shade at, at Jesus and the Jews. Verse 36, he says, Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world, but if my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. So here in verse 36, Jesus is revealing to Pilate, uh, his kingdom is not of this world, okay? We need to get that through our heads. Jesus' kingdom is not associated with politics, okay? As much as people want to connect it, and I know a lot of people do, Jesus' kingdom is not associated with politics. They're both wretched on both sides of the aisle. Uh, his kingdom is not geographical, okay? His kingdom is not geographical. In other words, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ is in the hearts of people. The kingdom of God, where is it? It's inside you. It's inside me. It's inside us. And we have the keys to eternal life. We have the gospel. We have the life of joy and peace and just an awesome experience of serving Christ and living for him. Again, Jesus' kingdom, uh, verse 36, circle it in your Bible. My kingdom is not of this world. End of story. Verse 37, therefore Pilate said to him, so you are a king. Jesus answered, you say correctly that I am a king. For this I have been born and for this I have come into the world. Here's the reason Jesus came. At the end of verse 37, Jesus came to testify to the truth. That is why the Lord Jesus Christ came into this world. He came into this world to reveal truth. If you look up the word, the definition of the word truth in the dictionary, it'll say truth. That which conforms to reality. That which is real. That which will take place that which will happen. It is the real substance of this world, spiritually and physically. It is the kingdom of God, and he came to testify to that. And then he says in verse 37, everyone 
who is of the truth hears my voice. Question, are you listening to the voice of truth or are you listening to the lies of the world? The voice of truth is the Lord Jesus Christ, is his precious eternal word. He offers us truth, truth to build our salvation on, truth to build our lives on, truth to to live by, this beautiful, precious truth of who he is, understanding the theology of him and living for him, but also applying his word to our lives. Are we listening to the voice of truth? That's the only voice that I'm going to listen to. It's to the voice of God. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. All scripture is theonostos. It is breathed out by God. Let's listen to his voice and listen to his Holy Spirit leading us throughout this life. Amen? Verse 38. Verse 38 is a very uh, powerful verse. It's actually just the first part of verse 30 I'm, I'm going to look at. But it's this, what Pilate, how Pilate responds. Look at verse 38. He says, Pilate said to him, what is truth? Do you know that's the question that everybody's asking today? This question that was asked 2,000 years ago by Pontius Pilate is the same question that secular man is asking today. What is truth? You could say that um, Pilate goes philosophical on Jesus or Pilate goes postmodern on Jesus. It's obvious here, Pilate did not believe in absolute truth. He did not believe in absolute truth when he asked this question. He asked Jesus, of all people, what is truth? What did Jesus say in John 14, 6? I am the truth. I am the truth. He is the truth. And then his word, Jesus said in John 17, 17, he says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. You can build your life on the truth of God's word. From Genesis to Revelation, it is his truth. And Jesus said there in John 17, 17, he said, sanctify them by the truth. Where does that word sanctify? The word sanctify comes from the word sanctification, and that word, the word sanctify means to be set apart. Another word we could use to, to describe that word sanctify is grow. Growing. Growing in our relationship with Christ. The word of God is the truth. And the truth of God's word in your life will cause you to grow in your love and your devotion to the Lord Jesus Christ. But here, Pilate, he ain't buying it. The world will say today, and I've heard this, I've heard this many times. And you've probably heard this before too. The world will say today, there is no such thing as absolute truth. Next time you hear someone say that, make that statement, ask them this question, is that statement true? It's a self-defeating statement. There is absolute truth. We just have to find absolute truth. And when you find Jesus and you find his word, you find absolute truth. The most philosophical Bible verse in all of the Bible. It happens to be my favorite Bible verse, and it's 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 8. Now, I want you to think about this for a second. This is the most philosophical verse 
for, for serious thinkers. Man, you're like, I want to drill down. I want to think long and hard about the authority of the Bible and Jesus. Listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 38. He says, for nothing can be done against the truth, but only for the truth. What Paul is saying there is that truth is empirical. Truth does not change. Whether you believe it or not believe it, whether you follow it or you don't follow it. Uh, truth does not depend on our faith. Truth does not defend, uh, depend on our belief. Truth is what it is. Truth is absolute truth. And Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life to this world. He says to this world, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Uh, 2 Corinthians 13, 8, for nothing can be done against the truth, but only for the truth. Friends and family, every knee will bow. Every knee will bow before the Lord Jesus Christ. Sigmund Freud, great philosopher, he will bow his knee to the Lord Jesus Christ. Stephen Hawkins will bow before the Lord Jesus Christ. Pontius Pilate will bow before the Lord Jesus Christ. Every single president that's ever lived and ruled in the United States of America will bow before the Lord Jesus Christ. David Ford will bow before the Lord Jesus Christ. And guess who else will? You. You will bow before the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, I do not follow Jesus. I do not follow Jesus because he is my religion. I follow Jesus because he is the truth. And that's the foundation of my faith. And I hope that's the foundation of your faith. Now we're going to go back from the Gospel of John. We're going to shift back over to Matthew chapter 27 as we dive into this conversation um, between Pontius Pilate and the Lord Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 27, verse 15 says, Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to release for the people any one prisoner whom they wanted. At that time, they were holding a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when the people gathered together, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release for you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called the Christ? For he knew that because of envy, they had handed him over. In verse 18, he answers the question I asked all ago. Did he, did, was, was Pilate aware that everything wasn't on the up and up with the uh, high priest and the elders? And the answer is yes, he did know that. He realized that. Um, Pilate knew at this point, based on verse 18, he knew that Jesus had done no wrong, but he wanted to appease the high priest. He wanted to appease the elders. So he gives them a choice. Free uh, a robber. If you look at all four Gospels, what they say about Barabbas, um, all four of them reveal that Barabbas was a robber. He was a murderer. And he was an insurrectionist. So he's given them a choice. Do you, do you want the, the criminal or do you want the pure, perfect, innocent lamb of God? Um, in Matthew 27, 16, uh, Barabbas is called notorious. That word notorious, if you look it up, it means wicked, evil, and foul. In other words, Barabbas was, uh, he was at the bottom of the barrel when it came to morality and, and obeying the law. He, he, was, he was a serious a criminal who was very guilty that all the people knew he was guilty and yet they're putting the bottom of the barrel criminal up against the creator of the universe he's offering them and then notice verse 19 
while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife. This is just really interesting that this would take place in a court of law, you know, on, on a court that um, the wife interrupts her husband, who's the judge or, or the governor, excuse me. Verse 19 says, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent him a message saying, have nothing to do with that righteous man for last night. I suffered greatly in a dream because of him. You know, even in the midst of this dark hour of Calvary and Jesus being, being prepared to be crucified, the Spirit was at work. I believe the Holy Spirit was at work. The Bible says God is willing that none should perish, but all should come to repentance. Jesus died on the cross for Pilate's sin. Jesus died on the cross for his wife's sins. He died on the cross for all mankind's sin. He made propitiation. He made salvation available, and it was available to them. But the Spirit was at work revealing the truth of who he is, even to his wife. Notice when Pilate's wife interrupted Pilate. It says in verse 19, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, while he was in the act of pronouncing judgment and making executive decisions as the Roman governor over Judea, she interrupts him. And what this does is um, this speaks of the intense revelation that she was experiencing in her dream. Uh, you know, next, next Sunday, if you're with us, we're going to study Judas Iscariot, and we're going to study him being hung, and then we're going to look at the scourgings also next Sunday. But there was a lot going on in the spirit realm during this time. I, th I believe at this moment in human history, the spiritual warfare was the most intense it had ever been on this earth. Based on um, what's going on with Pontius Pilate's wife and her being tormented by these dreams, I wonder what she had dreams about. The text doesn't tell us, but I wonder if uh, she had a dream the night before and knowing and had a, a vision of Calvary. Or, or, or maybe she had a vision of the great white throne of judgment. Or maybe she had a vision of the rapture of the church. I wonder what it was that shook her to the core. The text doesn't tell us, but we can only imagine it was something big. It was something big and it was something great. It was something earth-shaking that caused her to wake up. You know, a lot of times we wake up in the mornings and we forget our dreams. Me and Irene try to remember our dreams and we talk to each other about our dreams. Sometimes we forget. But sometimes you have such graphic, vivid dreams that you wake up and you think about them all day. There were some dreams, I'm not going to share them with you, <laughs> but that when I, I, I clearly remember I was like seven or eight years old and it had to do with this scary animal. And um, I'll tell you about it afterwards if you want to come up to me after service and ask me. But I remember there was this one dream where these animals attacked me and I was seven or eight years old. And I, here I am, 53 years old, and I still think about that dream on a regular basis because it so traumatized me. But whatever she experienced, it greatly traumatized her. It speaks of the intense revelation that she experienced in her dream. You know, my hope and prayer is she got saved. You know, how hopefully after um, Pentecost and the church got established, um, our hope and prayer is that, uh, that this, was, this was a wake-up call. This was, a, this was a, a, a great awakening in her life that she was eventually got saved. Hopefully Pilate does too. We don't know. We'll see. 
verse 20. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowds to ask for Barabbas and to put Jesus to death. But the governor said to them, which of the two do you want me to release to you? And look at what they said. Barabbas. The people in the crowds there in front of the praetorium, looking up at the stage, the platform that Pontius Pilate's on, likely some Roman soldiers, Jesus on one side, Barabbas on the one side. The people shout, they choose Barabbas. Friends and family, I want to stop right here because I want you to understand that when you look at the, in the, into the eternal courtroom of God, you and I, we are Barabbas. We are Barabbas. We are, friends, guilty criminals in God's courtroom deserving judgment before we came to Christ. If you doubt that, ask yourself, have you kept God's law? Have you ever told a lie, which is a violation of the, um, I think the sixth commandment. Have you, ever, have you ever told a lie? Have you ever stolen anything? That's a violation of the eighth commandment. You ever blaspheme God's name? That's called blasphemy. And the Bible says God will not hold him guiltless. He uses his name in vain. It's a serious offense to use God's name in vain. That's a violation of the third commandment. Have you ever hated someone without cause? Jesus says if you hate someone without cause, you're guilty of murder. Have you ever broke that law? Have you ever committed adultery, physically or spiritually? Seventh commandment says you shall not commit adultery. Jesus said, he who looks with lustful thoughts commits adultery in his heart. And it, um, we're guilty. You and I, if you've broken those laws like I have, I, I just, that was just four of the Ten Commandments. Pastor David has looked at all ten, and Pastor David is guilty of all ten. And if I'm older than you, I'll probably commit to more than you. But we're all guilty. You and I stand with Barabbas in guilt. On the other side, so you and I stand with Barabbas in guilt on one side of Pontius Pilate. On the other side is the pure and perfect Lamb of God who knew no sin. And instead of you and I being sent to the judgment of the cross, Jesus goes for us and is condemned in our place. Yes, if you got the picture, this scene with Pilate, Barabbas on one side, Jesus on the other side, it is a beautiful picture of the gospel. You and I are on the side with Barabbas. Jesus is the pure and perfect Lamb of God. Instead of uh, Barabbas being punished and sent to crucifixion, uh, you and I, Jesus goes in our place. Jesus goes in our place. And he's condemned in our place. And he bears the penalty for our sin on the cross. So yes, we deserve the judgment of the cross. But like Barabbas, guess what, friends? If you're a believer in Jesus, you're free to go. Jesus paid your fine. You're free to go. The charges of all your sin, of all your, everything you've ever done wrong, Charges are dismissed, 
and that's legally right in the courtroom of God, just like it would be legally right in a courtroom today. If the fine has been paid, the judge will say you're free to go because the fine has been paid. And our fine has been paid by the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ at the, the cross of Calvary. That is the glorious good news of the gospel. Verse 22 says, Pilate said to them, Then what shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? And they all said, Crucify him. And he said, Why? What evil has he done? But they kept shouting all the more, saying, Crucify him. Can't you just see Pontius Pilate there, man? He is a nervous wreck. He is sweating. He is scared. And he is just wanting to quell this. He's just wanting to put this down, but it won't go away. Pilate knew Jesus was innocent, but he did not have the courage to stand against the mob. The crowd smelled blood, and they had one response, send him to the tree. Verse 24, when Pilate saw that he was, he, he was accomplishing nothing, but rather that a riot was starting, he took water. He washed his hands in front of the crowd. See, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourself. Man, he is a full. Now at this point, Pilate is a full-blown nervous wreck. He's like, oh my goodness, this has gotten out of control. I can't handle this. And what does Pilate do in this situation? He tries to clear his conscience. In front of the crowd, with all them watching, he washes his hands. and He, he washes his, his hands at a levier as a symbol of his view that Jesus Christ is innocent. That Jesus Christ is innocent. We're going to see next week that even that these men that betrayed Christ, you sense remorse. You can tell they are going against their conscience. Wait till next week when we study Judas. Judas is going to take the 30 pieces of silver, and the word in the text clearly says it. He's going to take the 30 pieces of silver into the sanctuary, and he's going to throw it into the inner sanctuary. Go look it up. He throws it into the inner sanctuary. Why does, why does Judas throw the 30 pieces of silver into the inner sanctuary? Who is the only people allowed to go in the inner sanctuary? The high priest. His guilt-ridden conscience is saying, high priest, you're going to bear the brunt of this guilt with me. He throws it into the um, inner courts of, of the temple. It's in Matthew chapter 27, between verses 3 and 10, somewhere right in there. Um, that forces, it's the high priest. They're having to pick up the silver. And then they're going to appropriately call it blood money. We'll look at that next week. But man, even these men that betrayed Jesus, my point is this, even the men that betrayed Jesus, they knew it was wrong. They knew it was wrong. I believe we're verse 25, our last verse. And all the people said, his blood shall be on us and our children. Then, and here it is, then he released Barabbas for them. But after having scour Jesus scourged, he handed him over to be crucified. Next Sunday, we will dive into the Matthew passage of the scourging of Jesus. So we'll, we'll dive into that next week. But basically here, end of verse 26, this is coming to the close of the trial. And it says that he releases Barabbas 
and he orders Jesus to be scourged and handed over to be crucified. Application. What can we extrapolate? What can we learn from Pontius Pilate this morning? I want to give you three things that, we, that you can learn as a Christian from the life of Pontius Pilate. Number one, the first thing that you can learn from Pontius Pilate is this. Today, we are in the year 2023. Pontius Pilate, his dust is in the earth. There is a stone in the Israeli Museum today in Jerusalem that has his name on it. I showed you a picture of it earlier. His soul is in eternity, in heaven or hell. One day, your body will return to the dust of the earth, and there will be a headstone, or maybe a vase, with your name on it. But where your soul will be will depend on what you do with Jesus Christ. It comes down to that simple question. What do you do with Jesus Christ? And I just want to encourage you all, with all the love in my heart, encouragement as a pastor, to trust in Jesus. Love Christ. Receive him as your Lord and Savior. Let him rule and reign. Because John 14, 6, he is the truth. And you can trust on him. He will be faithful. Scripture says, even when we are unfaithful. Put your trust in in the light of the world, in our great and mighty God, the Lord Jesus Christ, and he will carry you from now until the day of eternity. Second thing that we can extrapolate, that we can learn from Pontius Pilate, don't be ignorant of the truth. Don't be ignorant of truth. If you hear the gospel, understand the gospel, and do not respond, you are a modern-day Pontius Pilate. Truth was standing in front of Pilate, and he ignored it. Truth is standing before each of us this morning in the pages of the Bible. So what should we do? Know the scriptures. Know the Bible. And your faith will grow in Christ. Love his word. Follow his word. Cherish his word. And every time you open your Bible, just say, God, thank you for speaking to me this morning. I love you and thank you for your word. And I'm going to live for this truth. And the third thing, the third, th- third thing that we can learn from Pontius Pilate is this. Don't let the pressures of the world tempt you to compromise. Stand firm. Stand strong. And stand for the truth. Did you know that Pilate is mentioned again in the Bible? Did you know that? Pontius Pilate this Roman governor, remember my opening question was, why is it so important to study Pontius Pilate? He's mentioned again. You ready for this? He's mentioned in the pastoral epistles. At the end of the Apostle Paul's life, as he is imprisoned in Rome, he is writing to his young Timothy, his young pastor. And I, I want to read to you this, this text. But in reading this text to you, I want to pray this for you. This is my word of exhortation to each of you guys this morning. This got this statement that contains Pontius Pilate. Paul says to Timothy, and I say to you guys this morning, but you, man of God, or you, 
woman of God. Flee from all this. Flee from the things of the world. Flee from sin and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, and endurance, and gentleness. Did that say anything about religion? Did that say anything about tradition or formality? It says pursue, friends and family, leave here today and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, and endurance and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Living a Christian, living the Christian life is a fight. It's difficult. And sometimes we just need to buckle up our chin strap, put our boots on, and fight. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses, in the sight of God who gives life to everything, and of Christ Jesus. Now, the Apostle Paul, this is, this is probably 62, 64 A.D., so what is that? Um, that's roughly 30 years later. He mentions Pontius Pilate again. Who gives life to everything of Christ Jesus, who, while testifying before Pontius Pilate, made the good confession. You know, with, with Paul saying that to Timothy and knowing the conversation that we just studied, we should respond to the world just like Jesus responded to Pontius Pilate. We're not jerks. We're not mean-spirited. We speak the truth in love. We speak the truth in kindness. We even speak the truth with gentleness. You know, we, we're not jerks. We're not mean. But we speak the truth in love, and we stand firm. And your conversation should always be seasoned with salt. In other words, the goal of the conversation that you have with secular man or woman is you want to let them know about the love of Jesus and how awesome he is. So we, 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 we take that approach with our body language. Uh, he says, I charge you, keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, we look this morning at the life of the conversation, the dialogue between Jesus and Pontius Pilate, Lord, help us to pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, gentleness. Help us to walk in love. Help us to walk in truth. Lord, help us to live with an eternal perspective. Lord, help us to um, not be ignorant of truth, but to know your truth. And Lord, help us not to bow to the pressures of this world. And Lord, if we have failed in any of those areas of our life, we bring it to your throne of grace and we say, Lord Jesus, please forgive me. Please forgive me and restore me. Family, that's what I love about grace. No matter how many times you blow it, you can come back if you'll repent and turn to him. So, Lord, restore our hearts. Restore our hearts, God, and help us to stand firm in the truth. For we love you and praise you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Don't forget, 
prayer request, prayer night, discipleship. Um, we're going we're gonna to close with a song. Prayer counselors will be up front. If you need special prayer, please take advantage of the prayer counselors. And um, we look forward to moving together, moving forward together as a body in evangelism, prayer, discipleship, and, and letting this world see the beauty and the glory and the awesome majesty of the Lord Jesus Christ in our life. God bless you guys. Have a blessed week.